This is KMTT. This is the weekly share in Agadot Chelek. This is Ezra Bek. Last week we read a story that began in Sadi Aleph, Amud Aleph. A, a conversation between Antoninus and Rebbe. A serious, very serious conversation. It had to do with Tchat Amitim, which has been our general theme till now. Um, and it presented a different perspective on Tchat Amitim. Tchat in the context of judgment. Putting uh, body and soul together in order to have a whole individual for judgment. I claimed that it had to do more than judgment. It basically indicated a picture of man where the whole man must be body and soul. As opposed to a picture which would say that the soul is the man and the body is just some sort of an accoutrement or in, in the Greek version, a prison, a tomb in which man is ensconced. Today we're going to read two more stories that continue of conversation between Antoninus and Rebbe. have nothing to do with, uh, with resurrection, with Tchat HaMetim. Uh, the Gemara is simply telling stories of Antoninus and Rebbe. Once again, I want to say what I said before last week. Conversations between Antoninus and Rebbe are always serious conversations, including the Antoninus side, as opposed to the stories we had two weeks ago and three weeks ago, where a, a non-Jewish character basically presented a either an absurd or a pagan opinion. Uh, Antoninus is always treated with respect by Chazal. Today... In fact, he is going to even, is going to win his argument. He's actually going to come out ahead, even of Rebbe. Sadi Aleph Amudbet, the eleventh uh, or twelfth line of the Gemara. Amalei Antoninus Lerebi. Mipnei ma hamayotza b'mizrach b'shokat b'marav. Antoninus asked Rebbe, "Why, in your opinion, does the sun rise in the east and set in the west?" It's hard to know. What's it supposed to mean? And even Rebbe misinterpreted the question. So Rebbe, in a bit of Jewish philosophical cynicism, said to him, and if it was the other way around, if the sun would rise in the west and set in the east, so you wouldn't have asked the question. Uh, Rebbe's opinion here is expressing the idea that not everything has deep meaning. At least, he's expressing that opinion. In other words, it could be that Maybe Rebbe did think he could find explanations, but he didn't think that he had to give Antoninus an answer to this question. Not everything in nature, some things are chosen merely because why not this way as opposed to the other way. Uh, the Ramam has a similar opinion in terms of Tamea Mitzvot, something which is offhand more sensitive to interpretation. Uh, it could be physical facts or physical facts. Uh, the Ramam says, I'm going to give explanations for Mitzvot, reasons for Mitzvot, but I don't have to give reasons for the details. If you ask me why God commanded us to slaughter ritually why there is shechita of animals, I'll give you an answer. But if you ask me why is shechita done from the front of the neck and not from the back of the neck, my answer is, it had to be some way, so it was done this way. If I had been the opposite, you would have asked me the opposite. This is basically what, what Rabbi St. Antoninus now. So Antoninus then explains to him, no, no, I had a different question. You misinterpreted my question. Antoninus asked, I'm asking why east and west. I'm asking why specifically does it set in the west? Rashi here explains, the question is, why does it set in the west and not go back to the east? The truth is, the Gemara doesn't say this explicitly. So we're relying here on Rashi's explanation. I don't know of any better explanation. Rashi states, Mibnei um, mashokat b'ma'arav Maybe we want to know why doesn't the sun do a circuit in the sky 
and set back in the east, the spot from which it it rose. The Noeg HaOlam Kachu Mimakom Sheyatsa Sham Nichnas, because that is the accepted way that things should return from where they come. Um, so Rebbe's question is based on his assumption, and we still don't understand the deep significance of this. But Rebbe's question, Antoninus' uh, question was, if the sun rises in the east, it should set in the east. So it should rise up in the sky and maybe do a little bit of a circuit, a little bit of a dance in the sky and go back to where it, to where it comes. I think we'll, we'll read Rebbe's answer and then we'll try to forget what's really going on here. So Rebbe agreed to answer this question. The question which might appear to be trivial generates a, an awesome, truly significant answer of, 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 of cosmic significance. Rebbe says... The sun sets in the west. Kidelitain shalom likona to give greeting, shalom, to its creator. As is written, and the Pasuk is even more significant than the language of Rebbe, Utsva Hashamayim Lachamishtachabim, the hosts of heaven bow down before you. The answer is that when the sun reaches its apogee in the heights of the heaven, it then bows down to God. So Rashi states, and we're not going to go into the explanation of this since the doesn't mention explicitly, that the direction here is connected to Shekhinah Ma'arav. There's an opinion, it appears in Chazal, that in some sense the presence of God is in the West. And therefore, when the sun reaches it rises in the east because it rises in the east. But when it reaches the border between east and west and it's standing opposite the Shekhinah, opposite the presence of God, it then bows down. Setting of the sun in that direction is the bowing down of the sun. It sets bent over. The setting of the sun represents the submission of the heavens before, before God. One should realize that uh, in, in, in Chazal, in the Roman world and in the pagan and in the ancient world in general, and true this to a great extent today as well, without the mythological overtones, the sun represents the entire natural order. That, that, that's why the sun is such a powerful figure in, in pagan mythologies. The sun is a source of light. It's a source of life. It's the heavens. It's the most magnificent and the most moving part of the heavens. And if we, if we have this picture, we're so used to scientific uh, pictures of things that we sometimes miss the, the obvious poetic meaning of natural phenomenon. But Rebbe looked up at the heavens and every day saw the sun, the king of the hosts of heavens, Svaha Shamayim, bowing down before God. In other words, the entire world, the cosmos, the entire world including the heavens and the earth, every day 
bow down before God. They bow their heads and set before the presence of God, which is, according to Rashi, in the West. So Rebbe has given tremendous significance to, uh, to Antoninus's question. And yet, I still I think we have to understand what Antoninus thought. Why did Antoninus want the sun to go back to where it came from? So for this, before we were discussing this, let's continue and finish the conversation. Amale, Antoninus asked Rebbe, V'teiti al palga de rakia, v'titein shlama, v'teil misham. V'teol. Rebbe said, okay, I understand your idea. Let the sun rise until the middle of the sky. Give greeting to God at that point. I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe give a little nod. V'teol, and then disappear promptly. Now he's asking, why is, this, why is there this long setting of the sun for half a day? Why doesn't the sun reach its height, perform some sort of act, some sort of act of of submission, some sort of giving peace, nitinat shalom, and and promptly disappear? Uh, Rashi, in an attempt to explain what this could possibly have meant physically, says. The sun should set in the middle of the of the sky. Thus, this doesn't make any sense at all. But in the ancient world, this is found in the Gemara as well. There's the idea that um, the heavens are solid, and one can pass through the heavens to the other side. It's like there are windows in the sky, so the sun could set, meaning it could disappear from its height. Doesn't have to pass beneath the earth. I'm not even sure that they thought the sun passed beneath the earth. Uh, there's an opinion uh, exemplified in Halacha by Rabbeinu Tam that says when the sun gets to the end of the west, it also then moves into the folds of the sky and goes back over the top and not underneath the bottom. So in any event, this I've actually want to explain Antonius's uh, 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 question. I think the exact uh, physical phenomenon interests us less than the idea. Behind it, he wants to know why the sun has to sink in the sky. Why doesn't it go out at its height? So Rebbe's answer is a little bit strange. He says, "Mishum poalim umishum rachim." He says it has certain benefits because the sun sets slowly, so this helps workers and travelers. Rashi explains it helps you plan your day and. If, it, if the sun would go out suddenly, when the sun was in the middle of the sky, uh, people would be caught off guard, and uh, the workers, people working in the fields, would be stuck in the dark, would have to continue working in the dark, and travelers would not know when the day was up, and therefore they, would, uh, they wouldn't look for a place to stay. In other words, maybe give them this very pragmatic answer, that... Our planning of the day, the fact that the sun sets slowly, so to speak, for six hours the sun is going down, you see it slowly going down, and you can measure it, this gives us the ability to plan out our day. What's really going on here? So I think the second question of Antoninus really gave away the, gave away the point, which may explain his first question as well. 
And Tirinus wanted to know why doesn't the sun rise and then go back to where it started from. There are two great pictures of, of history, of human existence, of life. One is cyclical and one is linear. The linear picture says that we go from stage to stage. A person builds, and tomorrow he'll build more. And, and, and you, you, at least you're meant to, increase and have a goal and move from one point, move. Obviously, we don't always move in a straight line. Life is complicated, but the, the, the ideal is to climb further and further, struggle on and on and on towards the final goal. And there's another picture, picture one that might strike us as being more depressed, a bit more cynical, a bit more weary. It says that Galgal HaChozer Ba'olam. Life is a, is a wheel, turns, and tomorrow is a petition of today. Next week is a petition of this week. It's true, you move a little bit here, but then you go back and you start again. You don't actually get anywhere. Simply, it turns around and around and around. The famous expression of this, at least in terms of the Pshat, is found in Sefer Kohelet, which is, has been identified as the Chazal called it a rather cynical work, the uh, work of, an, of a man who is overly old, according to one opinion in Chazal, Havel Havalim Hakol Havel. And, and, uh, the sun rises, the sun sets, it goes back to where it came. There's nothing new under the sun. We're just repeating the old over and over and over again. That's Rebbe's opinion. That, that's Antoninus's opinion. Antoninus views the rising of the sun, as did in fact the same passage I just quoted in Kohelet, as being a metaphor for, for life. And therefore, it's true that we have accomplishments, but in the end, it just goes back to where, to where it began. And therefore, every day will be repetition of the previous day. And Rebbe is defending the view, which in fact is what the sun does, and that it never goes back. It continues forward. Now, it's true that tomorrow the sun will rise again in the east. But we don't see that. We don't see how it gets there. Words, what we see is the sun moving and always progressing. And that's what, that's what Antonin is objected to. Why does the sun progress? It should go back to its original point. And maybe he says, no, it progresses. The fact that tomorrow it goes back, it, it rises again in the east, once you realize the sun always progresses, then it may appear to be cyclical, but in fact it's elliptical. Uh, the sun, we're always going forward and starting again, but at a higher point. Now, how does Rebbe express this? He says, you ask me, why does the sun continue? We have to realize what this says. It doesn't only say that the sun bows to the earth. Excuse me. That the sun bows before God. The sun would bow before God, then it should start high and end low. The sun rises, and when it reaches its height, then it bows. And I think the language used by Rebbe is important. He doesn't say bow. Pasuk said, But Rebbe said, It greets its maker. And I think the idea is that the sun rises to its height, you have an accomplishment, 
But then, you have to present this accomplishment before God. You have to thank God. You have to indicate that everything you accomplished is really in the service of God. But it's worthwhile. It's something, you have something to present. It's like, when you, when you grow your first fruits, you give, you give a portion to God. When you've accomplished something, specifically when you're at the height, not at any other point. When the sun has reached the highest point, places where east meets the west, that's the point where it perceives God. That's what it means, Shechina b'ma'arav. When the whole day, the morning, you're climbing, climbing, climbing. Specifically, when you reach the height, you realize that God is before you. And then, yes, you bow down. You bow down before God. The opinion here, the, the word linear, this is the usual description in the literature. Cyclical and linear, so perhaps linear is the wrong word. There is, you do bow down before God. You do go down. You go up, you go down. But it's, but it's, it's progression. You accomplish today. In order to continue in accomplishing tomorrow, you have to give significance to what you did. The reason why you can progress is because you recognize that God is before you. You recognize that you're a servant of God. So we do basically the first half of the day, as we see from the second part of the answer, when we get to this, it's really the first half of the day is, is the significant part. That's when man produces. At that point, he bows down, he bows down to God. Therefore, Antoninus asked, okay, so at that point it should end. You produce, produce, produce. Why do you sink? Sinking is still, perhaps, something which proves that I was right originally. You produce, 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 but in the end it all goes away. You then, you went up, you go down. So if you're right, that life consists of production, and when you do really produce something significant, you then dedicate it to God, you thank God, you bow down before God, so it should be to the height, and then, boom, turn off the lights. So Rebbe had to explain, Rebbe said, you're right. For it to be a truly linear or progression, you should produce today, stop, produce tomorrow, stop. Why then do you have sinking? So he gives an answer which I don't quite 100% uh, uh, um, 100% understand. But what he's basically saying is that there's a purpose in that as well. In other words, the second half of the day is not undoing the first half. It's continuing to produce, but at a slower rate, and you're already planning your sleep. In other words, it, it, it's, it's part of the production. Ceasing is part of the production. or Even, even a setting is part of the production because a true, to plan your day out well, so that the worker should not be stuck in the middle of the night and have to work at night or to go home in the dark. So they need a warning that time is running out. And that's done by slowly turning off the lights. But it's not that we're undoing the morning. In fact, we're building, we're making the morning more significant and making tomorrow's morning more significant by having a planned exit. It's a very practical answer and doesn't have the grandeur of the morning. Just And the night is, okay, plan your exit. But what he's really doing is explaining how setting isn't undoing. Setting is a yiridal it's going off slowly to allow a better building. Uh, and that, in fact, is what guarantees that tomorrow will be the continuation of today and not the repetition, and not the repetition of today. Um, 
this idea that human existence, human work, human production, human effort, human endeavor is significant and that what was done yesterday doesn't disappear but that we build on it for tomorrow is a very, very important principle in Judaism. I wouldn't say it's only in Judaism but in certain parts of Greek philosophy and I think very often conversations of Chazal with the Romans, but the Romans are representing Greek philosophy, uh, Roman in, in intelligentsia, Roman philosophy is Greek philosophy, you have a, a, a deep-set idea in Greek philosophy of the futility of human endeavor, of the repetitiveness, the, the meaninglessness of human, of human endeavor. Uh, that this world has no has no meaning, and nothing can be really accomplished. Everything the person does will eventually turn to will eventually turn to dust. And and to that, Rebbe is saying, look at the skies, look at the look at the course of time. The sun is time, rising and setting. The sun is time, and you see that it always goes forward towards the west. If it goes back, we don't see that. It always goes forward to the west. And even the part that you thought was setting isn't setting. It's planning of the next, planning the continuation of the journey. And again, and I think Rebbe explains why. It could be that from a human perspective, Antoninus and the philosophy he represents is correct. But the answer is, what makes it significant, what guarantees that tomorrow will be built on top of today, is is the bowing down before God. If it was only human endeavor, and we had to ourselves give it significance, then it would turn to dust. You would build, you'd come back tomorrow, and you'd see that time has worn it down, you'd have to build again. It would be, it would be like Sisyphus. You'd climb the mountain, and then just roll back down, and do it again. If you climb the mountain, and at the top of the mountain, you say, it's not for me, it's not just to serve myself, but all this is in the service of the eternal, something which is greater than the world, of God. That's what guarantees, that's what allows, that's what gives the meaning to and prevents you from going back on your tracks. If you would climb the mountain and not bow down to God, then you'd go back down to the east. But because you've climbed the mountain and bowed to God, you then continue. In terms of the direction, you're going down the mountain, but you're going down the other side in order to climb the next mountain on the other side and not repeat the ascent of this mountain. Okay, that's our first story. We have one more story, even stranger, between Antoninus and Rebbe. New story. Amalei Antoninus the Rebbe. Neshama me'ematai nitna ba'adam mishat p'kida mishat yitzira. This one seems, the question sounds better. On the other hand, it's almost impossible to know how to answer it. And Tinnus asked Rebbe, when does the soul join man? And there are two expressions used, two possibilities. Shat Pkida or Shat Yitzira. Shat Pkida is a very unusual term, and it's hard to know what it means. So again, let's rely on the Perush of called Perush Rashi. Perush Rashi explains that Shat Yitzira 
is Nikram Kulobu Basaba Gidin Vatsamaot. It's at some point, apparently during pregnancy, where there are already, there is already Basar Gidin Vatsamaot. There's already bones. In other words, there's a human form. Uh, in in, in uh, literature, this is usually assumed to be around the 40th day, which is more or less in, uh, if I remember correctly from the pictures that we used to look at when we were, uh, I, my wife and I were getting ready for the first childbirth. So uh, it's about right. 40 days is when you more or less see a, uh, a something that looks similar to a human being. And... So that was, uh, he answered, that, that's called Shat Yitzirah, from when a human being is formed. What is Shat Pekida? So she says this is much earlier. Why Pekida? The word Pekida means remembrance. There's a Gemara in Nida that says that before a um, person is born, before a person is even conceived, so the angel brings the proto-human being, the Tipa, you normally would be assumed to be mean male seed before God and says to God, what are its tchunot, what are its attributes? It will be intelligent, not intelligent, rich, poor, and other certain uh, things are done. Uh, more or less that means conception, maybe a few minutes before conception. Uh, but before there is a formed human being, when we just begin to think about the human being. So that was his question. I, I imagine you could say a different chat because the word chat pekida the time of remembrance, the time of paying attention. It's a very unusual term. But I think it's clear that in any event, Yitzhiah is the later time and Pekida is the earlier time. Yitzhiah is in the middle of pregnancy. Some later point. And Pekida is very, very early, if not even before. Amalei, Sarebi Seto Mishat Yitzhiah. I guess it was a practical answer. There's no need for the soul to enter the body before there's a human being. Uh, four cells, one cell, one uh, fertilized cell, uh, four cells, eight cells. There's <laughs> no soul. What do you need a soul for? When you when you have a small human being, then you need a soul. Rebbe Antonio said to him, I don't agree. He asked the question, but apparently in this case he wasn't asked the question to get the answer. He was asking the question in order to tell Rebbe the right answer. And Tanina said to him, what are you talking about? If you take a piece of meat and you don't salt it and you don't have a refrigerator, we wouldn't. We don't think of salt, we think of refrigeration. Uh, but he's saying is if you take a piece of meat and you leave it out without any special treatment, it rots. It gets spoiled within three days. So how does the human being exist without a soul? He's comparing soul to the salt. It's a much better comparison than what we would have to say, comparing soul to the cold. You know, soul isn't the freezing of the of the meat; it's the enlivening. What he wants to do is, you need it has to be alive, and the soul is the life. How can the proto embryo exist without a soul, without being spoiled? Okay, I'm not questioning or discussing the scientific basis. Presumably, you can give an answer. Okay. And the the mother, whatever, and they're, they're speaking on their level. Rebbe ends. Rebbe says to him, "Wow, you're right." I'm a Rebbe Antoninus. This is the thing that I learned from Antoninus, and he's absolutely correct. And in fact, the pasuk agrees with him. This apparently is the reason why the word "shat pkida" was used. 
in the Pasuk of Kudatecha, Shamra, Uchi, a Pasuk in Eof, the tenth parak, Pkudatecha means your command. Pkuda. The, the commands of God, the mitzvot of God, um, preserve my soul. But Rebbe is interpreting it as, Upkudatecha, you're paying attention to me. Shat Pkida. The, um, when, when God first looks at a man, Shamra Ruchi, Ruchi means my soul. So the time of Pkida is the time when the soul begins to operate. Um, I think we should understand this discussion on a philosophic level. Uh, I don't think there's anything. Some of you may be, th- be thinking of a different question as to when is a fetus considered to be human. Significance for questions of abortion. There was a discussion like that in Halakha, but I don't think this conversation has anything to do with that. that that's not the, the idea that the soul, a soul entering a human being is what makes him into a human being and then it should be prohibited to kill him is a very modern, I would say even a Christian definition of uh, the question of abortion. Uh, nowhere in halacha is connected to something called the soul. It's connected to other things. This question I think should be understood philosophically. And the question is, what is the basis of man? What Antoninus is saying to Rebbe, and Rebbe is agreeing, is that after all, Rebbe was really right. In other words, I'm talking in modern terms, but in, in Rebbe's terms, Rebbe knows that that the first few days of pregnancy, there is no Oba Sabagidim. They, they knew this from from, uh, from spontaneous abortion. And the whole the whole sugyot concerning uh, a woman who, who who has a miscarriage, and the you send an expert to look at what comes out to determine whether or not it's considered to be birth, which has certain halakh ramifications, or not. And you do that by checking as to whether or not what, how much of a human body was formed. So they, they were quite aware of the fact that in the early days, the language of the Gemara, Maya Ba'alma, it's just, it looks like water. What we would say, in modern terms, you use a microscope, one cell, two cells, four cells, eight cells, sixteen cells. That is right, that's not a human being. I mean, it's not a, it's not a very in, in terms of, of capacity, it's not a small human being. It's something else entirely which will develop. Develops into human being. There, there, it was, sometimes we imagine that, that, that evolution, it's a 19th century theory, uh, it was a complete revolution in human thinking. Everybody knows that human beings evolve. Maybe not historically. The evolution, as, the evolution of species is a Darwinian innovation. But human beings clearly evolve from something that is much less than human. And when Antoninus is insisting, and maybe says, you know, you're right, is that a human being is, well, what does the soul represent here? The soul represents the principle, and it comes from God. Ufkudatecha shamra ruchi. It's when God is in charging this organic thing, this body, with its destiny, with its greatness, with its call to serve God, that's when you get a soul. 
And it's saying that it's true that human beings evolved, but it's not that there was a pre-human condition and then there's a human condition. It might be very, 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 very primitive. So primitive that it's unrecognizable. But a human being is from the very beginning of his existence destined to be Tzalalokim, to be in the image of God, to serve God, to be to be human, to be to be great. Sometimes you have this picture of certain literature which is written in response to evolution of you know, okay, they were Neanderthals. They were basically animals, and then one day, whoop! Turned into a human being, turned into something great, something with with divine with divine destiny, divine meaning. So Antoninus is saying to Rebbe, no, and and Rebbe is saying you're absolutely right. It could be that there's nothing interesting about Neanderthals. There's surely nothing interesting about about four cell, uh, 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 one cell, a, a, a fertilized ova, ovum. Not interesting. Can't talk to it. But destiny is already there. It's not an accident that takes place in the middle of your life, even in the early parts of the middle of your life. The human being is created milichatchila. The human being is created by creation. Before he was created, God said, That's also a shat pkida. The idea of man was a distinct creation on the sixth day of creation. All animals were created on the sixth day, but there's a separate pasuk for man, which says, God plans it out. And what does he plan? The thought of man was that there should be a man who is the image of God who will rule over the earth and etc., 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 etc. And so that's here called the soul. That be, and that's why I think, again, that's why the term Shat Pkida is used. He didn't ask if it's on the first day or the 40th day. He said, is it from the planning stage or from the time when it practically would be useful? Practically, there's no need to give a soul to this body before it looks like a man. And frankly, you can say even later. There's no need to give him a soul until he's born because when he's in utero, he's not going to do anything. But the true answer is that the soul is your potential. If you only use it when you need it, maybe you don't need it till you're bar mitzvah. When you become a real man. Maybe you don't need it till you're married. Maybe you don't need it till you get a job. But the soul is human potential. And the idea here is that it's not pragmatic. Man is destined. He's charged with greatness. That's his soul. And therefore... It's from the very, very beginning, and if Rashi is to be, accept, is to be accepted, it's slightly before the beginning. It's from when the idea of man takes place. And that's what the Gemara in Nida that Rashi quotes says. Before man is even conceived, before the tipah, before the drop, before the seed of man combines with the woman, with, we would say the woman's ovum, and according to the Bambanavis, Chazal would say with the woman's body, it's brought before God and God says, okay, we're going to have a man who has the following tchunot. We're not talking about Yerat Shemayim now. now. We don't say whether or not he's going to be a tzaddik or a rasha, but we say, we give him all the things which he will then be able to use 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now. That's called Shat Pekidah, the time of remembrance, the time of perhaps being charged 
two meanings of the word pkida. To remember and to be in charge with, to be commanded. All this is laid out in advance because man from his very existence is destined, is in charge, is commanded to be man, to be the servant of God. And maybe says, wow, you're right. And I think maybe says this, I, when I say, wow, I think that's, I, I hear this word in the Gemara, even though I found it. Maybe says, this thing is I learned from Antoninus, who was a wise man, but not Jewish. But you know, he got it right. In this case, uh, I, I think maybe he's somewhat surprised, Dava said, this is the one thing, Lamdani Antoninus, and in the end, I realize, only after hearing from him, I realize that the Pasuk supports him. If I can add, in, in very, very shortly, this should be, I think, an example to us for many, many other areas. There's an inherent reluctance among Jews to accept ideas that come from non-Jews. Number one, Rebbe says it happens. Two, he says, Umikwa Messiah. There's a way to check it out. We don't always, all wisdom is found in the Torah. Now, that, that's, a, that's a principle of Chazal. But it's not always that easy to find. And sometimes you need for someone else to open your eyes, and then you realize it was there the whole time. Okay, I won't go into details. I have a few examples of this, but I think it's an important principle. And with this, we'll finish for today. We'll be back next week. Call to.